Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. This is the core message of Philippians, that we can be like Jesus, that we can live like Jesus. Philippians centers around this Messiah poem in chapter 2 that I read last week. I just want to go through it real quick again this morning. But in Philippians 2 verse 5 to 11, it says that this is the mind that we should have. This is the way we should think about ourselves. It says, have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. So this is something we've been given in Jesus. It's a gift of His grace. Who, though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, there wasn't any pride in His heart. He was submitted and surrendered. But He emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So there is a a, a therefore there. Because Jesus was willing to empty himself and lay down his rights and surrender himself, there is an exaltation that occurs. There's a raising up in the same way. The Bible says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead raises us also. But it can't raise us if we're not willing to lay down our lives, to lay down the old lives so that we can take up the new. But the therefore then says that as we empty ourselves and become obedient, God exalts, He uplifts, He gives grace, He empowers, He he causes our lives to flourish because we've surrendered them. To him. And so earthly surrender leads to eternal reward. Earthly surrender leads to uh, an eternal reward. And that is a reward we begin enjoying right now. Eternity is outside of time. It doesn't just happen when you die. It is a reward that we walk in even in the present time, in the present moment. And so God gives us these lives or the the grace to live these lives of freedom as His servants, and then also rewards us for that service when we arrive in heaven one day. And this is why I believe the Bible says that Jesus has become to us grace upon grace, because He gives us the grace to live these lives and then rewards us for the lives we live by His grace. There's a double reward. There's a double grace, grace upon grace. And so at the end of the, the day, we are called to live with heaven in mind live with eternity in mind. So often we're just focused on what's happening today, this week, in this life, what our, our, our pension plans are, what, you know, what our retirement annuities are doing. We're, we're all uh, uh, concerned about, about storing up for ourselves treasure on earth so that we can retire on a golf course one day. But at the end of the day, the Bible is telling us that there is a greater reward. There is a greater retirement. There is a greater place for us to to be thinking about, and it is ultimately this, this eternal space in heaven. We've got to see that bigger picture. In Matthew 6, 19 to 21, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. 
but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so through the gospel, we have the opportunity to store up, to lay up a reward in heaven, to live for an eternal future. We don't want to be earth rich and heaven poor. We don't want to be rich in nothing and poor in everything. We want to lay up our treasures in the right place because what the Bible says is that our hearts will be connected to wherever we have placed our treasure. And this is so true. You actually have the ability to lead your own heart. You can lead your heart in placing your treasure. What you decide to value will lead your heart to continually honor that, that area that you have decided to value. And I have found this true in so many things. If you're struggling you know, to connect, let's say, for example, to church, if you're, if you're somebody that has struggled to connect to a church community, um, how about you, you try this. Try giving of your money and your time to that church community and see if your heart won't connect. Because now you've taken ownership. You're a part of it. This is where you give. This is where you serve. This is where you connect. And it brings about joy. So the exchange is really to lay down the very little that we could have in this life in order to gain the eternal riches of heaven. And this is, this is a promise of, of God. In Ephesians 2 verse 5 to 8, it tells us, By grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Jesus, with Him, seated us with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show us the immeasurable riches of grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So he literally stores up and seats us with Christ in order to reveal just how kind God is. The immeasurable riches of his grace. Philippians 3 verse 14, Paul says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's a goal. That goal is that there will be a prize. That prize is I get that upward call. In fact, Paul says, for me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I, I would rather depart and be in heaven. I'd rather be with Jesus and, and experience his, his physical presence and all the glory of these immeasurable riches right now as opposed to sticking around on earth. But he goes, but for your sakes, I'll stick around. I still got a job to do. But for me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Revelations 22 verse 12, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to render to every man according to what he has done. Jesus is returning soon, and his reward is with him, and he will re render to every person according to what they have done. So there is a prize, a reward, an upward call that is ours in Christ Jesus according to to the works that we have done. And so this is where um, there's actually some powerful scriptures that talk about this reward. Because in one place in Revelation, it says that at that day, on the day of the Lord, which is what Paul actually refers to right in the beginning of Philippians, he talks about it. So I want to just quickly read that in Philippians 1, verse 3 to 6. We did verses 1 and 2 uh, last week. But in Philippians 1, 3 to 6, Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel 
from the first day until now. And I'll break that down a little bit. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The day of Jesus Christ. The day of the Lord. We're going to look at that a little bit in the time we have left this morning. The day of Jesus Christ. But the book of Revelation tells us that there will come a time where, and this is one of the most, it's either ominous or joyfully expectant, depending on what you believe. But there is a day where it says that books will be opened. Books will be opened. Every idle word that we have spoken has been recorded. There is not a thing that is, is hidden right now that will not be revealed. Because the Bible tells us the day, capital D, the most important day in all of our lives, that day will reveal it. In Corinthians, it tells us that we should, we should take heed how we build on the foundation of Jesus because the day will declare our works. Now, that is the day of judgment. And, and judgment, as we'll see in a moment, has been given over. The right of judgment has been given over to Jesus as the one who has conquered death and seated, is seated at the right hand of God. And so books will be opened. And, and, and for us, before you come to faith in Jesus... There is accountability. There is a moment of accountability where we will be held accountable. And we can say, no, we don't want to be held accountable. But at the same time, when we are wronged, when there's a murderer in the street or a rapist or, a, or somebody who's done something wrong, we all want justice, don't we? We all believe in justice. We all say justice is good. Justice should be done. But then when justice comes towards us, we say, no, no, I don't, I don't like the word judgment. But when we're wronged, we're quick to ask for a judge. But God is a righteous judge. And so for those who refuse to receive the grace of God, they are choosing to pay the price for their own sin. And books will be opened. They will pay the price. For those of us that have accepted what Jesus has done for us, we understand that when Jesus went to the cross, every one of the things that we have done wrong, are doing wrong, or will do wrong, was paid for in that moment that Jesus died on the cross. The punishment that was due to us, the judgment that was due to us, was poured out on Jesus. Which is why there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. So when God opens up the book in our time as believers, we have now transitioned from God punishing us for the things written down in the book to instead receiving a reward. God is now writing down all of the things that you will be rewarded for in heaven. We stand before the beamer seat of Christ. And in that moment, we will receive a reward. And the reward of heaven that you will receive will be dependent upon how you lived, how you built on that foundation. So there is a reward. So that's why Jesus said, it is more blessed for you to give than to receive. Because if you can give and serve and build the kingdom and, and, and love others, and, and, and it's always about people. This is what Philippians talks about. Like as Jesus gave himself up for others, the more we give ourselves up for others, the more we live like Jesus, the more blessed we are today and in the time to come. It's just grace upon grace. Have this mind that was in Jesus. He emptied himself and gave himself up for the lives of others. 
and you will experience the reward of heaven. And many people have rejected this idea. I wanted to throw this, I don't have this one on the screen, but I wanted to throw this in there from uh, the book of 2 Peter chapter number 3, because it speaks about the day of the Lord. And it said, this is now the second letter that I am writing to you, 2 Peter 3 verse 1, beloved, in both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. That word scoffers and scoffing just means people who mock. Following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? Jesus' return. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. So they say, when is, oh man, there, there is no judgment. There's not going to be a day of recompense. There's no day of the Lord. Everything is just always carried on the way it always has. And so they begin to mock, oh, you people say that Jesus is going to return and we're all going to pay the price if we don't surrender to God. No, that's not going to happen. They mock as they have always done. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged, was flooded with water and perished. But the same heavens, but, the, but by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. And so just to quickly t tell you what that means is it says that people who mock and say, God will never judge. There's no day of reckoning. There's no day of the Lord. Everything's just going to continue on one year after another year after another year after another year. What these people who say this do forget that God has already once before judged. When he flooded this earth. He did it before and he's going to do it again. He promised he'd never flood the world again. Which is the real meaning of the rainbow. He promised that he wouldn't flood the world. But it is stored up for the final judgment. A time when the world will be consumed by fire. It's the day of destruction for the ungodly. So there is a reckoning. Don't be like the people in Noah's time. Who mocked Noah while he built the ark. Jesus is our ark. He is the one who saves us from the flood, from the judgment. And God desires that not a single person should perish. That's his heart for humanity. This is why he sent us as the church into our cities to proclaim this good news so that people would not have to pay the price for their own sins. God's heart is for no man, no woman to perish. But judgment will come. And those who mock say it won't, but they will, like in the time of, of, uh, of Noah, be swallowed up by that judgment. And so he says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth 
in which righteousness dwells. Things will not always continue as they have done. All things will be renewed in a moment of time. There will be judgment and renewal and, and we hasten the day. So my question is, when I talk about the day of the Lord, what does it stir up in your heart? Does it stir up fear and anxiety to think of a day of judgment? Or does it stir up joy and expectation? Because what Paul is saying is that we are actually hastening the day and praying for the return of Jesus so that we can experience that fu the fullness of that redemption even in our earthly bodies. The difference between the fear of the Lord and being afraid of God is the gospel. We're not afraid, but we have the, the fear of the Lord. And so there is, there is a great reward that we actually look forward to in the time that is to come. And so Paul writes to the church in Philippi and he says to them, every time I think about you, I thank God. Every time I think about you, I thank God and I rejoice as I pray over you. What is it that stirs up Paul to this prayer of joy, praying for the church in Philippi? Here's what it is. His realization that the gospel is at work in them. He can see the fruit of the gospel because that tells us that, that God is at work and so God's going to complete that work and so they will stand guiltless on the day of judgment, on the day of the Lord. He realizes that God is doing this good work in them because it's evident. There is fruit there. What was the fruit that Paul was referring to? How could he see that the church in Philippi really were beginning to grasp the gospel and, and walking it out and that they can look forward to the day of the Lord, that they can be excited about the day that Jesus will return, that they'll have no fear, but they'll stand gladly before their Savior and receive their reward. What is it that gave Paul this indication that the church of Philippi were partnering in the gospel, that they were getting it? He could see it in the, in the fact that they we're giving towards Paul. You're giving towards the mission. You're giving towards me. You're giving towards the purposes and plans of God on this earth. That tells me that something is at work within you. In their case, it was the fact that they were partnering with Paul in the gospel, a sign that they were finding their treasure in heaven as opposed to on earth and that their hearts were following a deeper and greater truth, the truth of heaven. It's like watching your child begin to walk for the first time. That's a moment that as, as parents, we're, we always hope that we're around for when our kids begin to take their first ever steps. It's always a moment you want to capture. It's always a moment that you want to remember when they begin to walk. After that, you have to hide your wallet, hide your keys, you know, make sure you know, that the toilet bathroom door is closed because you'll find your stuff down in the bottom of the toilet, you know. Um, but when we see our kids walk for the first time, there's that joy that erupts. And Paul, sitting in prison, receiving this gift from the Philippians or from the, the church of Philippi, he erupts with joy because he says, they're getting it. They understand that life is not all about what I can get. Life is not all about serving my own purposes, my own pursuits. But, I, but they're living for something greater now. The gospel is at work in them. And this is what causes him to be 
like a father rejoicing over them. So every time he thinks about them, he's saying, thank you, God, for working in them. Thank you, God, for the good work that you are doing in them and will continue to do in them and will be faithful to complete. He sees that they have a genuine relationship with Jesus. If people took a look at my life, if people took a look at your life, would there be fruit that would reflect the fact that you have a genuine, authentic relationship with Jesus? Because walking with Jesus should change the way you walk. Now, we might still struggle with things. I'm not saying that we don't struggle with things. I'm not saying that there's not things that, that we, you know, takes us time to, to work through and to break off. But, but ultimately, if we're surrendered to Jesus and walking and He is changing and transforming us, certain things should break off of your life. Other things should begin to develop. There should be, you should look different year in and year out as you journey with Jesus, because that relationship will change you. It's not a program worked apart from an authentic relationship with God. It's not a religious adaptation in public and a dark heart in private. No, it's something genuine as Jesus transforms us. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this. It says, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, as we look at Jesus, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes by the Lord who is spirit. So there should be some fruit on the tree. Now, we're not focused on the fruit. We're focused on, on Jesus. We behold him. But the fruit comes as a result. Because you can't force the fruit. It's like, it's like when you try and ripen fruit early by seeing if you, if you squish it, if it would soften. <laughs> You're just destroying the fruit. Our focus isn't the fruit. We're not telling you to, if you're impatient at the moment, to just focus on patience, 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 right? We're saying focus on Jesus. And self-control becomes a fruit of the Spirit that's at work within you. So this is the miracle that God does in our lives. Philippians 1, 8 to 11 says, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. That's the fruit, the love. With knowledge and all discernment that you may approve what is excellent and, be so, and, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. That on that day you'll be filled with the fruit of righteousness to the glory of God and the praise of God. So this kind of fruit not only allows us to experience Life lived to the full in our days on earth, but also a reward on the day of the Lord. As Paul says in Philippians 1.6, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Let's just really quickly look at some things that were said about that day. Because the prophets of old had a collapsed view of time. It's kind of like when you take a telescope and it's collapsed and you, you, know, you can stretch it out and it brings something that is far nearby. And they didn't know exactly at what point. There were certain things that the prophets in the Old Testament could not see, certain valleys that they could not perceive. But they were able to collapse time and see one thing that many of them in the Old Testament prophesied about was this day of the Lord. 
Ezekiel, for example, in Ezekiel 30 verse 3 writes, and he says, for the day is near. The day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations, the ungodly nations. So the prophet can see this condensed version of time, a distant day seen nearby, and predict a time of final judgment on unbelieving nations. Joel 1 verse 15 says, alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and the destruction from the Almighty uh, and as destruction from the Almighty, it comes. And so Israel was often assailed by evil and these different nations that came against them. And even as God stood up for Israel and, and defended Israel against ungodly nations, that was a foreshadowing of this final judgment that would come, except now that judgment has been handed over to Jesus. He has been given the right to judge the nations. John 5, 27 says, he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Luke 17, 24 says, for as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the son of man be in his day. So the day is coming where it will not be business as usual, where the sky will be torn and rolled up like a scroll and God will do what he has promised to do. Everything else he said and has promised and prophesied would happen has happened. All the messianic prophecies were fulfilled. God always comes good on his promise. And so he will come good on this promise as well. At a point in our history, God will ring the bell. He'll blow the trumpet. And then comes the final judgment. So what do we do? How do we prepare ourselves for that great day? By becoming partakers in the gospel. By participating in the story of Jesus. This is why Paul is so overjoyed at the genuine faith of the Philippians. Because he's saying they're getting it. They're partakers of the gospel. He says in verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart for you are partakers with me of grace. You've partaken of grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in defense and confirmation of the gospel. The first thing we've got to do is become recipients of grace by believing in what Jesus has done for us. 1 Corinthians 6 to 8 says, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. As you wait, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's incredibly beautiful and should be encouraging. Because it means that Jesus is the one who's going to sustain us in what state? In what state are you being sustained? A state of guiltlessness. That's the grace of God. That's what happens when you begin to believe in him. You will be found guiltless because you have trusted in the gospel. You've put your faith in Jesus. 2 Timothy 4, 8 says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which, is, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. We eagerly await and love the appearing of Jesus.
Because in that day, not only will Paul receive his crown of righteousness, but every single one of us will receive a crown. It's gone from what would have been the worst day of our lives, the worst day we could imagine, to the absolute greatest day. The end of all striving, the end of all pain, the end of all sorrow, the end of all sin for us. Because we now stand crowned with righteousness, receiving our reward from God. The day of our reward. In the next chapter, Paul writes in Philippians 2.14, he says, Therefore do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I'm poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. So Paul says that even if I had to give my own life, even if I had to sacrifice my very life, it'll be a joy for me if I get to see you receive the same reward. The same reward as I do on the day of judgment, on the day of the Lord. If I can see you being blessed and rewarded and, and receiving the crown of righteousness then it doesn't matter what price I have to pay. That's the greatest reward I could ever receive. And so our heart towards our city is we want them to have that same reward. And even if we give our lives, we will be proud on the day of the Lord when we see others receiving that same grace. The Philippians got this. They understood it. From the first day they partnered with Paul, they developed a sense of eternal urgency or urgency regarding the eternal. They gave financially. They risked their lives. They embodied the gospel. Final scripture, Philippians 4, 16 to 20. says, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving. Except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit, the eternal reward. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. When we give, when we serve, when we sacrifice of ourselves for the building of the kingdom, this is a fragrant offering before God. It is acceptable and pleasing to Him. And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So, it's really just a one-way street to receiving more and more of the fruit of righteousness in our lives. 
as we give, God is going to continually supply. He'll give you the energy with which to run. He'll give you the grace by which to work. He'll give you the anointing by which to speak. He'll give you the the, the financial provision you need in your life by which to give. And so we cannot outgive God. And Paul says, I want you to do this, not because I seek anything, but because I know the fruit that will abound to you, that will increase to your credit. When we've encountered Jesus, the gospel does its work in us and we're able to increase in the fruit to the joy and the glory of God. Fully confident that there is not a thing that we can give in this life that we will not receive 100% back, 100-fold return in this life and in the next. And so as we empty ourselves, we are continually filled to overflowing. That's the story. Empty yourself because God will fill you. Empty yourself again because God will fill you. And all the while, you're laying up treasures for yourself in heaven. So let's not remain in the stranglehold of this world. Let's understand like the prophets could open the telescope and see the day come near. Let's see the day near. It might be this afternoon. I hope it's just before Max Verstappen wins the next race. It might be this afternoon, it might be tomorrow morning, it might be in the middle of the night. We don't know because it comes like a thief in the night. But we are not those who are fearful of the day that is to come. Proverbs writes about the godly woman and it says she laughs at the day that is to come. We laugh, we are filled with joy at the day that is to come. Why? Because we know the gospel is at work within us. We know because there's fruit in our lives. We love to give. We love to serve. We love to to reach the lost in our city. We love to do all the things we've been called to do in order to build God's kingdom. We love to do those things. And so we eagerly await the day of the Lord. Because that is the day where we will be crowned with all righteousness. And we will look over and see others that we have reached out to being crowned in the same way. And in that moment, we will know that we have lived lives of meaning and purpose. This is what God has for you to be free from the pursuits of the world and to stand with confidence on that day, the day of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Won't you stand with me right now this morning?